Blog Talk Radio. We are nothing if not consistent. God damn it again? <laughs> nothing but consistent, I tell you. Uh, nothing but air, air balls again here at Wideman. I tell you. We're shooting a thousand here with this intro, and it's only it's only on it's only on this show. Like if we do a Sunday night roundtable or anything else, it works perfectly. But it's only on Somebody. this show, and people people are probably thinking this is a gimmick that we've come up with. This is not a gimmick. This is real life. <laughs> we were tired on that intro, and that was yeah. total trash. Intro's uh, just like nope, not tonight, gentlemen. It's just sitting here looking at me spinning like it does, you know, every Wednesday without fail. Give us a, give us a thirty seconds and it'll begin. And yeah, it'll start up here anytime, right in the middle of our. If you're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at BlogTalkRadio.com/slash Wide Men Can't Jump. You're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump. This show is brought to you by the law offices of... If you're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com stripcamfun.com Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC located at facebook.com backslash Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC as well as at Stay Classy Meats at stayclassymeats.com where you can use promo code WIDEMEN to save 10% on your order and receive a free pound of Montana grass-fed ground beef. This show talks about NBA and covers all topics from all 30 teams in the league and includes guests from experts from all over the world. Make sure you're downloading us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and more. Be sure to join in on the fun over at WideMenCan'tJump.com as well as on our Facebook group, Wide Men Can't Jump, and follow us on Twitter, at WideJump. Now, let's go to the flagship program of this Wide Men Radio Network. Here's Wide Men Can't Jump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You guys from Stay Glassy Meats over here because that intro was just butchered. Three times but, uh, the charm. Unbelievable. Time is, third time is, is the charm. Hold on. I've been handed a... Uh, oh. Apparently, uh, I've been handed a, a note here from our on-site producer, uh, Rusty Shackelford, uh, who's handed me this. Uh, we have this. We take you to our on-site reporter right now. Good evening, and welcome to the Wide Men Can't Jump Fake News. I am your reporter. Rob Tobinson. 
In today's news, Markel Fultz had a rough day when he visited New York yesterday as onlookers saw Fultz unable to comply with the TSA agents when asked to raise his arms at the airport. He underwent a humiliating body search and seemed visibly upset as he was nearly run over when he tried to get a cab. A young boy then showed him the proper way to hail one and then mocked Fultz as being from another planet. Fultz then attended a Yankee game and later told reporters he was disappointed and hungry and the stadium vendors seemed to ignore him and his pleas for food. He then added that his rehab is right on track for a 2027 return. The Houston Rockets announced that James Harden is seeking treatment for non-objective personality advanced sphere syndrome, or no-pass. The team is hopeful it doesn't interfere with his ongoing treatment of a torn right anterior vascular exterior ligament, also called a travel. Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to let people know that they've been butchering his name, but honestly, he doesn't really mind. After all, he said, I am not LeBaron Yamas, so I'm not keeping track. Go Greece. In other news, Charles Barkley has issued a challenge to the pickle king of West Virginia, Ed Bogus. Barkley called Bogus a sissy and a mama's boy and said he'd take him on in any eating contest. The round mound of rebound went on to say Auburn would crush those pussies from Notre Dame. When reached for comment, Bogus said he couldn't hear Barkley over the sound of barbecuing and championship banners fluttering in the breeze in Indiana. He's also ready to defend his Pickle King title if Charles can be medically cured, cleared, sorry, not cured, although maybe medically cured is accurate, medically cleared, as they don't use blenders to prepare their pickles for championship eating. In other news, Draymond Green signed a $100 million contract with the Golden State Warriors and felt financially secure enough to do some shopping at Kevin Durant's garage sale. He purchased some items, and with the leftover cash, he traded in his 83 El Camino for a mint 1977 AMC Gremlin. He's looking forward to moving out of his mom's basement and getting his own loft apartment. And lastly, LeBron James is holding a press conference on Thursday, where he will announce nothing of any importance. In related news, Ty Lue and Luke Walton are co-writing a book entitled How One Man's Ego Got Me Fired. Well, that's it from Clifton Heights. Stay tuned as we take you back to Wide Men Can't Jump. Well, thank you for that tantalizing report, Ron Robinson, newest attention to the Washington <laughs> Radio family. That man is on top of things, let me tell you. He, he you really wonder. got to the bottom. I mean, you got to wonder what what was for sale at Kevin Durant's garage sale. One wonders. Uh, Kevin Durant's garage sale. Uh, what was for sale? I would say probably uh, a lot of uh, probably a lot of uh, really stretchy socks. Broken dreams. Probably. Uh, probably a piece of his ACL was probably there uh, for sale. <laughs> I should have bought that. <laughs> I would say Russell Westbrook's title hopes were on sale. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. Serge worth in the NBA was on sale there. Uh, I'd say Nick Collison was probably for sale as well. But you never know. He was was a cashier. (laughs) Nick Collison just checking people out. Oh, that'll be uh, that'll be uh, (laughs) ninety-five. 
Got to get somebody else there to do the math. Nobody good. <laughs> well, Scott, Scott Brooks was there trying to find his old job, but he just he couldn't. So bless his heart. And, and, but it, and I do have to say, that was some sharp, also sharp reporting on that. Giannis Anantamanofukadililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililililil
um, on Christmas Day in Staples Center. So, what do you think about that game, Tim? That, that should be well, a fun know, one. It should be, but that also has the potential for giant dud. If one of those teams oh, doesn't no. pan out, that that game could end up being not really much. Although at least the Clippers Lakers angle is always there, but um, you watch. It'll be Christmas Day will roll around and you'll turn the TV on to watch it. And that's when they'll announce that Kawhi Leonard's not playing and LeBron James has got a phantom injury and neither of them play on Christmas Day. <laughs> well, uh, Anthony Davis will probably be hurt anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, the potential for all four of them being hurt is, is, uh, is there, in all honesty. I mean, these guys are not – none of them are known for, um, shall we say, their Iron Man statuses in the league. Yeah, yeah. No one's invincible in the NBA. That's uh, that is a hundred percent true. But that one, that one's got. If, if everyone's healthy, that's going to be a potential oh, big game a, there. Then it should be a barn burner if, if everything goes to the script. That'll be a monster game, well worth the effort. Absolutely. And Christmas Day, really, that's when a lot of people tune in for the first time. At least the casual fans. They'll tune in for the first time there. Um, here's a game that is strange, if I can say that. I uh, was kind of surprised to see this one on Christmas Day. New Orleans Pelicans and Denver Nuggets in Denver. What's your thoughts on that game being on Christmas Day? Well, Denver's got a pretty good team. Um, not exactly. I agree. You know, I mean, neither of those two are exactly gigantic fan base, you know, big city teams. So in that sense, it's kind of odd. But, you know, I mean, the Pelicans should have have a half-decent team this year, too. They got a lot of young guys. That actually might end up to be a fairly entertaining game. Um, It could. It could, but I'm also looking at it as, like, this is basically so we can watch Zion Williamson play. I mean, let's get down. Yeah, I would say that that is probably the driving force behind it, and yet that also could end up. Um, I mean, do you? I mean, even if you like Zion Williamson, do you really want to watch the Nuggets beat the Pelicans by twenty-five on Christmas Day? Well, I'll tell you what, that could very easily happen, just because the Nuggets, as you'll hear later in this episode, I, I'm big on the Nuggets again this year. I think yeah, no, they're going to be great. Yeah, they got a good team. There's there's no two doubts about that. That's that's a team that people are going to sleep on, and they shouldn't. Uh, I think the Denver Nuggets are going to be a team to watch this season. Uh, they're good, but I think that game is just specifically so we can see Zion Williamson. Uh, kind of a, I don't know, just weird to me that that's the that's a, that's a Christmas Day game. I don't well, know. Who would, a, who who would you rather see the Suns versus the Cavaliers? Well, no, but it's just weird seeing the Pelicans, I guess, is really what I'm getting well, at. You know what? I suppose, you know, for all the complaining that we that people have done over the years about certain teams never getting to play on that day, okay, well, here's two that you don't get to see too often. So, enjoy it, I guess. Very true, but there are some other teams, I think, that would be more interesting on that day than uh, Denver and New Orleans. But let's go ahead. We'll, we'll, go, we'll come back to the snubs here in a few minutes because there's a uh, there's a few games that I think we're looking at um, we're not going to see few teams that we're not going to see that possibly should be seen on this day. All right. Uh, Boston 
at Toronto in Scotiabank Arena, Toronto. Raptors coming off the big win. And, Scotia. And what the hell is Scotia? Scotia. Scotia Bank Arena. I'm Scotia. Sorry. Scotia. It sounds my like fault. they got fault. scoliosis. Down at the scoliosis Scotia. bank. What the hell is that? <laughs> Excuse I me. Know. I shouldn't have jumped on you like that, but yeah, no. Scotia Bank. But anyhow. Bank Arena, but um, you're looking at the Raptors. This is a team that I quoted in. I wrote a, an article on WideMenCan'tJump.com. It's up there right now. It's called Christmas Day Snubs. And um, well, this game should have been last year. Well, yeah, I agree. Uh, they they make this game this year, and it's a big deal. And finally, a, a Christmas Day game in Canada, and people are kind of not giving the Raptors a lot, and they're saying, "Well, well the- this." You're yeah. late. Yeah, day late, pound short, as they say. Um, I mean, the Raptors aren't going to be horrible this year, but they're certainly not going to be. There's no, uh, you know, claim that oh, maybe they can. Although I don't know, I'm not really sure that anybody was talking about them winning the title at the beginning of the year last year either, all that much. But well, I mean, they, they had they had a better roster last season. Though. Yes, they honest. got a, they had a better. They 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 don't have as good a team this year, at no. least. As far as we and know, probably, anyway. You can throw in Danny Green leaving with Kawhi, and they're another year older. They played late into the season. So uh, there's a lot that goes into that. But I'm also looking at the fact that Toronto, um, it's great that they're getting this game, in my opinion. I, I actually like that they're getting it because they've been snubbed for too many years of having good teams, and this is finally making up for it, where I've had to suffer through a Knicks game. Um, that has been just the worst possible atrocious abortion that could ever exist on Christmas Day where they put that game on so you can go ahead and get a nice Christmas dinner out of the way while the Knicks are playing before the real NBA teams come on. Uh, that's just me. Though. I mean, people people will watch this game in, Toronto, in Canada. I don't know oh, about anywhere else. Too. I think they'll watch it here too. Even if it's just background noise, I think people will, will have it on. Um, I like to sit down and try and watch all the games, but you know it is what it is. It's Christmas, so uh, a lot of people, a lot of people are not doing much on Christmas. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, the Raptors deserve a game, even if they're not the best this year. They deserve to have a Christmas game because of all the years of well, basically they, uh, kind of talk. Should, they didn't deserve it. You should book the defending champion in a game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think they've earned yeah, that even, right. Even if even if they don't have the roster that they had when they won, they still they, they you, yeah you've earned that. I, I think I think that's just some respect to the franchise. Here, here's like a Christmas bad. day. It's not like they're bad. Yeah, it's no, not but, like, but it's still it's kind of like okay here to ownership you know here's a here's a little nugget for um, performing. Last no, it's not year. like we're putting. Not like we're putting the Grizzlies out here on Christmas Day. So, you know, the Raptors aren't a bad team. But Boston, going to hear more about Boston in this episode as well. Uh, So, we'll stay tuned for that. Now, here's the one. I think this could be the biggest game of the day. Maybe maybe outside of Clippers-Lakers, but I'm going with this one as my game, the must-see. I'm going to take this game, circle it. This is the one I want to see. The Milwaukee Bucks against the Philadelphia 76ers in Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. That's a big game. And I want to see Giannis go wild on Joel Embiid. I mean, that that could possibly happen. You're looking at... Well, that's what I want to see. 
there, folks, if you're home listening, this is a basic – this is should be a preview of the Eastern Conference Finals that day. Um, now, a lot of people say Clippers-Lakers. That's going to be a preview of the Western Conference Finals. I have my doubts on that one, but – uh, I think this year is pretty much a done deal that this one will more than likely, barring some sort of injury or some out of nowhere. Oh, come on now. We we're, we haven't had the uh, annual Philadelphia 76ers blow up yet where something happens on that team that defies logic. Guys well, they didn't. Hurt. Well, yeah, but they didn't make a bad draft pick this year. And no, Jimmy but, uh, you know, Joel Embiid pulls a – Pulls an a uh, rips his ACL cutting his toenails on a Tuesday night <laughs> or something equally ridiculously stupid like that that seems to plague the Philadelphia franchise the last five or six years. Their draft pick hasn't got hurt yet, so that's something. Um, you know, who knows? Ben Simmons. Uh, I, I heard rumors, and I actually I think I even saw the video where he shot a three at a schoolyard game. So, you know, that's something. Um, Philadelphia <laughs> just has this way of – they just have this way of shooting themselves in the foot, it seems. And I don't know why because they got – you know, they have a – they had a good team last year and somehow managed to choke on it when they shouldn't have. Everybody, I, everybody I know from Philadelphia finds a way to just screw it up. So. <laughs> I mean, we could have our expert uh, – our expert Tom Robinson could come to the table and probably tell you – 10,000 reasons why the 76ers aren't really as good as anybody thinks they are. Well, he, he's been very vocal about his distrust and dislike of Ben Simmons. So we'll have to yeah. wait and see. Well, he's, he's batting a thousand on Markel Fultz. So I have to listen. I'm not sure I agree with him a hundred percent, but I have to listen because he had, I'm not, as, anti, I'm not as anti-Simmons as he is, but I do have to give him, I do have to, to tell him, yes, like he makes very valid points. So it's an odd thing to have a guard who can't shoot threes. Odd thing. You know, but years ago only, it was not only can't shoot ago, it was. It is now though. Many moons ago in the NBA, that was not odd, but it has become very, very odd to see. That's um, what that position right. provides in the today's NBA. Yeah. Well, here is. Uh, the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors in the new Chase Center in San Francisco. And boy, how about that name, the Chase Center? That just doesn't have the same ring as Oracle Arena. Nothing will ever be as good as the first Union Center. And then somebody initialed that baby and went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's, I like that. That's a, that is a true story. That was a, well. I believe that's the uh, Philadelphia, right? I don't know. If Philly was the first Union I, Center. Was, I uh, think it was Philadelphia, and somebody went and 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 then somebody initialized it for a story or something, and went, "Oh Lord, nobody thought of that," because that's the blank Actually, arena yeah, now. Fargo well, Center. Yeah, you're right. That's Philly. Yeah, I mean. Thing in the fleet center. Oh, okay. Yeah, making... well, the damn things change names so fast now that it you, you have to have a scorecard. Yeah, and, and we've talked about that, but Rockets Warriors, uh, that should be a fun one. Westbrook and Harden against Curry, uh, D'Angelo Russell. 
Draymond Green, possibly, depending on who you believe, Clay Thompson may be back in time. We'll have to wait and see. So that one should be fun. But let me let me throw a couple teams at you that, that maybe should have got the nod over New Orleans. Um, maybe the Nets. You know, there's a lot of hype. Now, granted, they don't have Kevin Durant. But, you know, they have Kyrie Irving now. They still have Karis Levert, Joe. Why don't they schedule more geographical battles? Like, okay, they give you Clippers-Lakers. Why don't they give you Pacers-Celtics, Knicks-Nets? Why don't they give you those? Like, don't those – do they not draw nationally if they do too much of that? Or Possibly. Um not sure, really. Um, but I think the Nets maybe got a little bit of a snub with all the hype surrounding them this year. Um, I will say I strongly believe that the Portland Trailblazers should have been playing on Christmas Day this year. Um, could you imagine seeing a rematch of Denver and Portland on Christmas Day? Oh, I, was just about, I was just about to say, geographically, Portland and Denver is not that far off. Well, um, I'll do you want even better. How about Utah? The Jazz in Denver. I mean, that's not far. That would have been a fun up because the Jazz. Go ahead. We want a fun game, Nate. Are you you crazy? People might have liked that game. They want that. (laughs) Well, I mean, look at all of us. No. You'd have, you know, Mike Conley, uh, you know, just so many big stars now out there. Donovan Mitchell. You know, and then on top of that... Uh, I guess some of it might not be... Um, scheduling might not be possible, depending on where teams are at. Maybe not. And stuff like that. But geez, you can plan for that if you really want to. Um, baseball manages to get those... Uh, you know, when they, when they go uh, division on division, when they have interleague play, I mean, they manage to, to get them, you know, the Mets versus the Yankees and the White Sox against the uh, the Cubs and all that sort of stuff. They managed to pull that all off, so I don't see any reason why the NBA couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't either. And, and those are some of the teams I think got snubbed. Uh, do you think of any that – is there any that you're looking at saying, okay, yeah, I can see where this team kind of got the shaft a little bit. Well, Maybe they uh... – I guess it's, it, it depends on what how you're looking at what the purpose of the Christmas game is. Is it to satisfy fans that are already hooked? Is it your little reward for being a, a big NBA fan that you get to see these matchups on Christmas Day? Um, is it designed, which I don't think it is, to try to attract uh, new viewers to the game? Because really, there's no reason why it has to be the best team. You could make a few matchups sure. there, like that don't involve powerhouses. That would still be good games if you thought it through. Yeah, I mean, I won't argue that. You're definitely right there. I mean, I, mean, I you guess have... there's only so many spots, but I mean, I can total, I totally understand, and I'm not knocking the Pelicans. I realize that they're going to be a lot of people are going to be interested to see Zion Williamson. And, and this is where you put out your your for your casual fan because the diehard fan like me like you know TR and, and you're turning into 
uh, slowly but surely well, already, converting. I already know about him. That's a, yeah. that's a game for somebody who maybe watched some college games and recognizes that name and goes, oh, I guess he made it to the NBA. Maybe I'll turn that on and see what that's all about. But yeah, and, and you look at it, it's one of those, okay, I see what's happening here, and I see that Zion, is. Uh, this is how he's doing. Uh, and, you know, there's some other players there. You know, they made the move, uh, made some good draft picks. So, I mean, if you're looking at the Pelicans, they they have a lot of young pieces that people will probably want to see. Whether it be Zion, whether it be uh, Jackson Hayes, or whoever, whomever, there's a lot of good pieces there the, that, that the people question, are going to want to watch. Yeah, the question is: is by Christmas, I would, I would, that my argument would be more solid if that was opening day games. I agree, but by, but by Christmas time, some of these aren't going to work. It's just yeah, you're probably right. I mean, we don't. Yeah, I mean, you don't. You don't. Right now, but that's what I'm saying. So maybe that maybe that's why they stick with the more traditional powerhouses, for lack of a better word, for the most part, anyway, because there's a better chance of them still being, even if they're having a bad uh, year on the court, they still got name recognition and that sort of thing. Whereas if we book. you know, uh, I don't know. The, like I said, you know, the, the keep Cleveland against the Phoenix. Well, the chances of that being a dud are pretty good, you know, from day one, really, barring something a bit of a – although Phoenix is probably going to be better than they were last year. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, they're not going to – they're not going to – I get it. Horribly, they're not going to book, you know, Minnesota versus Memphis on Christmas Day because – they just aren't. No, but opening day, that game might be a competitive game on opening night. Well, I think the whole concept here is bringing as many eyes as humanly possible onto your, your product and getting them interested. Because, again, football is is still king in the United States. Um, football rules uh, but pretty I, much. I would say that basketball has weaseled its way into second place. Oh, absolutely. I think, no, I think no basketball doubt. Is, ahead of, is ahead of Major League Baseball at this point. Oh, Jesus Christ, Tim. Fuck. Everything's ahead of Major League Baseball. Yeah, Major, Major League Baseball still, is still a draw everywhere. Literally baseball just, is ahead of Major just, League Baseball. It just isn't as big a draw, but it's still a draw everywhere. There's not a place you can't go where people won't sit down and watch a, ba- a baseball game, whereas there are places where basketball is not popular. Now, as I'll a say, league, I'll the say NBA this: is I better. Think hockey. I think hockey is about to move <laughs> in. I think hockey is poised um, to make it third. The only reason hockey doesn't fly in the states is because of the weather. There's just there there are franchises in places where there really shouldn't be. You can't really expect people to get all that hyped about hockey in a place where it's 90 degrees three quarters <laughs> of the year. Yeah, well, the <laughs> Phoenix or the teams in Florida. And Tampa to some Bay. extent, even uh, the Tampa Bay and the Panthers, and to some extent, the Kings. You know, uh, the weather is, is, is what drives that game because, you know, it's different. Uh, but anyway, regardless, the NBA, I, I don't know that 
they just have to be aware of wanting to make sure that they, even though they've picked up fans and their fan base is pretty solid, that they continue to think about the up and coming um, young kids, uh, ladies, females, which I don't really think the NBA in all honesty does very much. At least that I've noticed that they don't do a good enough job there. They're okay with kids. I think they do well there, but I don't think they, but maybe they don't aim for the, we'll have to We'll find that out a little later here. Maybe they don't aim for that because of the WNBA. I don't know, but maybe uh, I'm not um, sure. I've often, now, Tim, not. I've often said this, and this is just, this has always been my uh, opinion here. Um, I honestly think that the NBA, because they did this once during a lockout season. They started the uh, regular season on Christmas Day, and that, to me, was awesome. I I thought that was really cool that they did that. And I think, you know, if they move the NBA season, I know it, it kind of coincides with the, you know, world championships and basketball and things like that. We couldn't do it, but I think that would actually be better for the NBA to move to the Christmas start time for the regular season. Because not only would it not interfere with football, not only could hockey fans, you know, get their feel, but then you're playing basketball in the summer. And for the love of God, you can get me out of this funk of no real, like, major sports watching going on other than freaking baseball. Like, I'm begging you. We need something. But I think that is the old school thinking is that they didn't want to go up against baseball because they would have got their asses handed to them at one time. time. But that time doesn't exist anymore. Now, that could possibly just be a friendly agreement between the NBA and Major League Baseball that, okay, we won't tread on your turf. Try not to tread on ours too much. I don't know. All I know, though, Nate, is no no major league sports league is ever going to shorten their season because unless they well, can figure out a, unless they can figure out a way to get that revenue another way, games means tickets, games means television revenue, and that is where the money is. And they're never going to shorten the season unless somebody can guarantee them those that lost revenue through another stream. And I don't know what that would be right now. So we'll have to see the NBA has been talking about it, but uh, those are your Christmas day games. So that's what you had to look forward to there. So we'll look at Christmas day games. And uh, if you want to look forward to something else, that's a good time. Head on over to our friends at stripcamfund.com. Let's hear from them right now. Are you tired of the same old average everyday lifestyle and the same old job that has you making less money than what you know you're worth? Well, you should head on over to StripCamFun.com. On StripCamFun, there are tons of eligible men and women waiting to perform for you, and you can join in on the fun yourself. Just head on over at StripCamFun.com where you can strip on cam and have some fun. If you get there right now, you'll get to see some of the most beautiful women, men, and whatever else your heart desires. And you can take advantage of the good times being had on StripCamFun.com. Make sure you get there right now and let them know that Wide Men Can't Jump brought you over 
because StripCamFun.com is not just for everyone. Must be 18 years of older to join in on the good times. Strip Cam Fun, be sure to visit right now at StripCamFun.com where you can strip on camp and have some fun. Our good friends at StripCamFun.com, there's always a good time waiting for you at StripCamFun.com. Well, Tim, we talked about Christmas Day games. We talked about the Nuggets opponents, the Pelicans, and how maybe it could have been a little different, maybe a little better. But I had a chance to sit down with a good friend of the show, Mr. T.J. McBride. T.J. is a reporter for Mile High Sports. And we talked about the Denver Nuggets this offseason and what it looks like for Denver as they approach this upcoming season. What do you say we head over to that, Tim? Roll the tape, Nate. Back again here on Wide Men Can't Jump is a Nuggets beat writer for Mile High Sports and host of the Nuggets Daily Podcast, TJ McBride. TJ, thanks again for jumping back on the show. Oh, it's always a pleasure to come talk to you. So it's very good to be back again. Wow. Well, it's great to have you. And, uh, you know, you've got a lot to look forward to out there in Denver. As the Nuggets last season, uh, many thought were a surprise. But coming up this season, don't think they're going to be much of a surprise, but they look like they are going to be a contender to really deal with this coming season as they are one of the deepest rosters in the league. Uh, realistically, where are you looking at the Nuggets being come this crazy Western Conference? Um, we'll break them down here and we'll look at this rotation, but um, realistically, where do you think they can end up? So this is such a hard thing to say now because there are so many pairs of stars on so many different teams in the West now. You have, what, six different teams that could realistically make a run at the Western Conference Finals next year. So with that being said, I do think the Nuggets have the best opportunity to get close enough to get the one seed to where they could actually be that number one seed in the Western Conference. They have something that no other team in the West really has right now, which is just pure, unfiltered continuity. All of these teams have had complete upheaval as they are trying to re, you know, retool their rosters, whether it's Houston getting Russell Westbrook, Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers, LeBron and Anthony Davis trying to figure things out together. All of these teams are going to have a feeling out period where they try and figure out where each person fits best. So because of that, the Nuggets should be able to hit the ground running much quicker than a lot of these other teams. So they might get the benefit of more wins in the regular season just for that fact. But when you start talking about power rankings and which teams have the best chance at a title, I still think you have the Clippers and you have the Lakers one and two. And then for me, I have Utah and Denver three and four. I really don't care which order they're in. I fully understand both arguments for both teams, but that's kind of how I see them in a power ranking kind of sense. Yeah. And the nuggets were, again, a lot of people saw them as a surprise. I didn't, I had them ranked in the top four last year, just looking at their roster, but um, they give Jamal Murray the extension during the off season. And I, I think it's well-deserved and he's going to be the point guard of the future there. Uh, the Nuggets basically want to build around him. Uh, was that extension just a show of confidence in Jamal Murray? Well, the Nuggets aren't building around Jamal Murray. They're building around Nikola Jokic. The reason that Jamal Murray was that the Nuggets were so willing to give Jamal Murray that max contract is that because he is the perfect star tandem 
that fits with what Nikola Jokic does offensively. I mean, in terms of the point guard of the future, that is 100% correct, but it's because of his fit with Nikola Jokic and his individual feeling as a player that made them feel comfortable to give him that deal. They may not feel like he is worthy of $170 million right now, but they do believe that as time progresses and as the seasons kind of trudge along, that Jamal Murray will grow into a player who is worthy of those maximum tight contracts and be able to really put himself in the upper echelon of the, you know, Western conferences guards. And another uh, piece that they picked up during the off season here that a lot of people are kind of sleeping on, I thought was a good addition though, to an already deep roster, a Jeremy Grant from the Thunder. They make the trade to get him and acquire his contract. What are we looking at here in terms of, of Jeremy Grant, on this Nuggets roster, what can he bring that maybe was missing? This is the most underrated signing of the offseason, in my opinion. Jeremy Grant, that you can't build a better non-star to fit with this team, in my opinion. Of course, you could say, oh, if you put Giannis here, Kevin Durant, sure, whatever. I'm not trying to have those conversations because they don't actually exist. The Nuggets aren't going to ever woo one of those kinds of players. But to get a guy like Jeremy Grant, he's one of only two players in the NBA last year to hit 100 threes and block 100 shots. He's a guy who plays way above the rim with freakish athletic ability. He can play small ball he can play power forward. He fits perfectly with Jokic. He can play off the bench as a small ball center with Paul Millsap. He, the, the Nuggets can do whatever they want with him. I would not be surprised if they close games with Jeremy Grant at small forward with Gary Harris and Paul Millsap at the two and the four, and then Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, and they just switch everything two through four because they have three legit defenders on the floor at that point. When I was talking to Will Barton on my Nuggets Daily podcast, I did an interview with him last week, he told me that Jeremy Grant makes them championship contenders, full stop. Everybody that has been around Jeremy Grant knows how incredible of a human he is. He's just a great guy. So adding him to an already great locker room and a great culture in Denver will just continually add to that already. And then you're adding in that athletic ability, the ability to come over from the weak side and block shots, the ability to defend the opposing team's best player on any given night, the ability to hit threes or attack closeouts and just destroy the rim getting downhill. He just does everything the Nuggets need, and it's going to be so exciting to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, I really like uh, Jeremy Grant. I, I like that trade. The Nuggets are just building uh, a team that really is going to be almost 12 deep uh, when you look at you know the roster, and that could be monumental for them, especially if someone goes down. And you saw some injuries last year where their deep bench helped, and they were able to secure a, a solid playoff spot. Um, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, the experiment did not go according to plan in Denver. I actually thought he would be a great piece there, but he did not end up working out. He leaves Denver. Um, is this a big loss for the Nuggets, or is this just kind of a, a an experiment it's, that didn't yeah, work? Yeah, it's, com- it's completely non-consequential. Like, Isaiah Thomas in the locker room did an incredible job of bringing this young Nuggets team out of their shells in terms of their personality. But in terms of on-court production, now the Nuggets lost absolutely nothing. The reason, and that's not an indictment on Isaiah Thomas. This is 100% giving credit to Monte Morris. Monte Morris put himself in the top five backup point guard conversation in his very first real season in the NBA. Monte Morris made Isaiah Thomas's role non-existent because the Nuggets could not afford to not play Monte Morris. And like you said earlier, the Nuggets had all of those injuries. They had three starters out for an entire month. 
They did not have Paul Millsap. They did not have Will Barton. They did not have Gary Harris. And despite that, they had Monte Morris and Malik Beasley as the two guys who really stepped up. So Isaiah Thomas, he was really, he kind of just fell victim to the surrounding circumstances that he had no control over. Monte Morris just came out the gate and gave Denver exactly what they needed. I still believe that he could have a decent run in Washington. I don't think this is a situation in which he is done and not an NBA player anymore. But at the same time, he did not prove it in Denver. He did not have an opportunity to, but he did not show enough to make a team feel comfortable that he could even get back to 70% of what he used to be. Yeah, and I thought he would do great there, but I don't know, it just never really worked out. But as you look at this roster, um, there's a few question marks. Um, and one of those is going to be Michael Porter Jr., because here was a highly touted player coming out of college. He falls all the way to the Nuggets in the lottery. Doesn't play at all last year due to injury. Are we going to see Michael Porter Jr. this season? And if so, what kind of impact do you expect from him after setting out, basically redshirting his rookie year in the NBA? I, the way the where I'm at with this, after everybody that I've talked to in the organization trying to get an idea of where this kid is at, the whole thing that I've kind of come to is I don't believe it until I see it at this point. Every time he's been close, every time that we have been hearing that he could play, every time he starts playing some actual contact basketball, whether it's three on three or four on four, a new injury arises. This past summer league, he has the MCL sprain. Before that, it was drop foot. Before that, it was the hip issue at his pro day. Before that, it was his first back surgery that eventually led to his second back surgery. This is someone who just turned 21, and he hasn't been able to see a court for more than three total games since high school. It's not fair to expect anything from him. In my opinion, the best-case scenario going into next season is that he fills that Trey Lyles kind of role where he's the backup power forward that plays 10 to 12 minutes a night and stretches the floor and you know attacks some closeouts here and there and keeps the ball moving he you can't expect him like people want him to start immediately people want him to be the sixth man of this team it's not fair to michael porter jr to expect that of him because he hasn't played basketball in two years so until i see him play basketball actually on an nba court against nba athletes and nba opponents i am just not going to you know actually factor him in as a real important piece because we just don't know so he is the big x factor the big you know question mark as you put it earlier about this Nuggets team because if he is 70% of what he could be if he is that potential 25 and 5 guy who can play at the three or the four and get way up have that perfectly pretty jump shot and some handle moves like a guard at that size the Nuggets again jump into that championship contender conversation that they're already starting to poke and prod at right now but I just don't believe it until I see it. Yeah, and it's a shame because he was such a great talent in high school and even in college. He showed you know glimpses of brilliance. It's just an injury-ridden career so far for Porter Jr. Hopefully he can get healthy. Um, speaking of injuries in college, Nuggets take Bowl Bowl in the draft. Um, they're able to trade to get him. Will we see him this season? Most people think not. Uh, what's your thoughts on the Nuggets drafting Bowl Bowl? Uh, the Nuggets drafting Bowl Bowl is purely a project. Uh, this is like, why not take a swing at the 44th pick for a guy who could have been a top 10 talent? And the thing is, too, is what happens if he does pan out? What happens if he is like a prime Serge Ibaka for this team, where he is just stroking threes, has some handle moves, and is blocking shots everywhere on the floor? If that can become his mold over time, then Denver won that trade gigantically. But they don't know. 
I mean, this is a guy who is just rail thin. And on top of that, there are questions about his character. Not that he's a bad kid, but he hasn't learned who he is yet, it feels like, when you talk to him. He's very unsure of how he goes about things and just kind of – He's kind of just nervous. He feels like he's kind of deer in the headlights still at this stage of his career. So there could be a very high upside here, but until he plays, he's a non-factor. I do not see him playing at all this year unless it's garbage time or else, or unless you know there's so many injuries that there's no other option but to play him. But the Nuggets do believe in him. They waived, you know, they they let Thomas Welsh walk. He was their two-way contract player that they had this past year. They really, really liked him. He was the center out of UCLA that played with Lonzo Ball. Hit 40% of his threes his last year in college. Really smart player. And Denver liked them, but they believe in Bull Bull enough to waive Thomas Welsh because there's no reason to have two project centers on the roster. So that's, that's where the Nuggets are at with Bull Bull. They're, they're in wait and see mode. They don't need him, which is the best possible circumstance. In my opinion, the likely outcome is that he does not play this year and just tries to get stronger because after that stress fracture in his leg, he ended up losing about 30 pounds. He went from 238 to 208 pounds despite being seven foot two. So I think the main priority is getting him in the weight room, getting some more, you know, just weight on his body, whether it's a little bit of fat and muscle, just because he just needs a base because there is no basis for him right now. He's so thin. So until he actually gets to those points, I do not expect him to play any minutes. Do you think maybe he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he has a little bit of a legacy to live up to with his dad? Do you think maybe that's something that uh, people are looking at saying, you know, hey, here's a here's a guy who, you know, his dad was an NBA player, um, kind of fam- a famed NBA player at that just due to his size and who he was. Do you think maybe that's part of the, the attitude that he has coming into the NBA? It's not fair for me to speculate on that yet because I haven't talked to him enough to really get a good gauge on that. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, Everybody that I've talked to that knew him in Oregon, everyone that I've talked to that has scouted him throughout the AAU circuit, they have not said anything like that. I have not heard that he feels the burden of a legacy or anything like that. I just sometimes wonder if he's just a really young kid who's trying to find his way in this world. These are 19-year-olds. Like, at 19 years old, I was just, you know, being debaucherous and a hooligan everywhere that I went. So to expect these kids just to suddenly be professional athletes and have a professional mind and come into this sport ready to go, it's almost unfair to them because they are 19 years old. So I'm trying to hold off until I get a better read on him and I actually talk to him because we've only done one interview with him over the phone during draft night. That's the only time media has talked with him other than Kendra, who does stuff with the athletic. So it's just one of those things where I just want to wait and see. I, I want to really get the chance to, you know, kind of know him before I start, you know, unleashing takes like that. Okay. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Of course, this is all just speculation on my part. I have no reason to even – uh, to even think that this is just again me thinking out loud here. But looking at this roster, though, as deep of a roster as it is, do you see maybe a weakness on this Nuggets team? Maybe there's a position that you know they have some players, but maybe they could improve. Or do you think this is really possibly the deepest and best roster the Nuggets have put together in quite some time? I would say it is the deepest and best roster the Nuggets have put together in probably the last 10 to 15 years. But with that being said, there's always ways to improve this roster. Um, 
there is still question marks at the small forward position. Will Barton, in my opinion, will step back in as the starter going into next season just because of all of the injuries that derailed his ability to show what he was doing. As he told me on, on my podcast, he told me that when the first couple of games of the season, from the get-go, when he finally moved in that starter role last season, things were clicking immediately. And I do expect if Will Barton is healthy, if Gary Harris is healthy and everyone comes back ready to go and they start that same starting five of Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic, that they will play very, very well together. Um, the other question is, what's going to happen with Paul Millsap? Because the Nuggets did not trade for Jeremy Grant. They did not trade a first-round pick for a rental. They do believe that this guy could be a future power forward of this team. So where does that leave the power forward position? Is Jeremy Grant going to be okay coming off the bench all year? Will Paul Millsap be okay allowing Jeremy Grant to start if he's better with Nikola? That's going to be a very interesting one. And the last thing that, I, that I'm curious about is what happens if one of the point guards gets hurt? They don't have a third point guard at all. If Jamal Murray or Monte Morris goes down, you're suddenly asking Will Barton to play out of position and play point guard, and then you're even thinner on the wing than you would have originally been. So I do think a third point guard is also going to be an important thing for them to find. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, a third point guard could be important. Um, of course, there's the – I've heard the mentions of uh, – forgive me on this name – Vlataco Kanker. Um, it's that's Baco a, Chanchar, yeah. Yes, <laughs> so yes, that's for sure. Uh, he's a, a huge guy. Now, granted, you're not looking at him to be your power forward, but uh, this is a, a Serbian player who the Nuggets are looking at drafting stash, and you know he could very well end up on this Nuggets 15 uh, man roster with what he's been doing. He's played well. Uh, played in summer league last year. Played well. Played in the FIBA World Qualifiers for the Slovenian national team. What can you tell me about this guy? And I'm not even going to – Konkar, I'll just say that because yeah, that's a Chon-char, tough name for like – Charizard. Okay. <laughs> okay, Chonchar. That's, that's tough for a, for a hillbilly but <laughs> from West Virginia. But uh, What can you tell me about yes. Chonchar? So Chonchar is actually a Slovenian. He grew up playing with Luka Doncic for a lot of his life. So he, So him and Luka are pretty good friends. Um, then he went to go play for what used to be called Megalex, which is actually the same team that Nikola Jokic played for in Serbia in the Adriatic League. He then also ended up with the same agent as Nikola Jokic, which is where the connection came in to the Denver Nuggets. So the Nuggets then drafted him, I believe he was 49th, if I remember correctly, in the 2017 draft. And then he went to the ACB League, which in my opinion, the ACB League is probably the second best league in the world, obviously behind the NBA. So he went over there, and he played power forward, he played small forward, he played shooting guard, he defended, he hit threes. And that's what the Nuggets needed to see after he had a pretty good summer league his first year. They just wanted to see his ability to play multiple positions because now, I don't know if you're a baseball guy, but I've been likening him to a utility player. He's the kind of guy that, okay, you need an emergency catcher, you need a second baseman, you need a shortstop, you need a left fielder or a right fielder. He can play any of those spots. And that's kind of what they get from him. And the other thing that I don't mean to correct you on, I hate correct people on their own show, but he has already signed 
to the 15-man roster. He will be on the Denver Nuggets roster going into next season for sure. That has been confirmed by Mike Singer of the Denver Post. And then the Nuggets sent out their team email um, putting out that the signing has been official. So for three years, with the third year being the team option, Vlako Chanchar will be in Denver. And I'm not, I would not be surprised if he finds a way to carve out a role in the next couple of years. He's a very smart player, a very good player. He does not make mistakes. He brings so many different tools to the table. He has some vision, some passing instincts. He can hit threes. He can finish at the rim. He has some strength to get into the post. So I do think he's a very good player. And I think for a breaking case of emergency kind of guy, for either shooting guard, small forward, or power forward, you can just drop him in there and trust that he just won't make mistakes. And having a player like that that's also versatile is a very helpful thing to have around. Oh, and don't, don't feel bad about cracking me. I'm wrong occasionally, so <laughs> I feel good. I actually I like <laughs> I like being I like being corrected when I'm wrong. So it's it's more important to get the right information out to the to the listeners and to the people that want to know. So uh, I'm glad we glad we got that straight. Um, there's been some rumors swelling. Um, of course, you know if you subscribe to the Athletic, uh, there's some rumors spreading that that possibly. Uh, the Nuggets, you mentioned the small forward position. They may make a move for a veteran like Andre Iguodala. Do you think maybe there's a possibility that Iguodala can end up reunited with the Denver Nuggets? I would not be surprised. I don't know if you've read any of Andre Iguodala's book that came out, but in that book, he specifically talks about how much he enjoyed the city of Denver and the slow pace of it and how calm it was and being able to go fishing. He enjoyed being in Denver. What made that fall apart was mostly George Carl causing so much chaos in that locker room that it fractured every relationship around it. So it was like going to a job you hate every day. So that's what really led to the breakdown in communication because it forced Iguodala to have a reevaluation of what he really wants from his career. That's when he chose to go to Golden State. Uh, Nuggets fans will have a much more difficult time accepting him back than I think Andre Iguodala would have coming back. Nuggets fans took home the mole. They think that after they lost to Golden State in 2013-14, that he left to Golden State just to go to the better team. Like a lot of people in Denver that like the Nuggets do not like Andre Iguodala, but in basketball senses, when you get to the playoffs and you can run out Jamal Murray or Gary Harris with Andre Iguodala, Jeremy Grant at the four, and Nikola Jokic, like you're talking about a legit, you know, ability to win a championship this season. That's how good it makes them. You have two players who can defend the best player on any given team in Jeremy Grant and Andre Iguodala. He fits perfectly into the team construct of what they do. He gives them a backup ball handler off the bench if Monte Morris needs a break or if someone gets hurt. And he's been there and done that with everything in the league. There isn't a better option in my opinion. So, but the one thing I will say, is that I have been told from people in the Nuggets organization that the Nuggets were not at one point over, I think it was like July 6th time, when it first came to be that he was available when we were all still at Summer League, that the Nuggets were not willing to send a first-round pick to trade for him. And that's, what, and that's where Memphis is asking price is currently at. That's where the conversations have broken down. Denver already sent a first-round pick out for Jeremy Grant. I do not think they want to send another one out. I think that they would be willing to send out a guy like Wancho, maybe. I think that they would be willing to send multiple seconds. But I don't think they're going to come up to that asking price of a first-round pick. If it falls lower, the Nuggets will get involved. I have almost no doubt in my mind 
that Tim Connolly has already made calls to try and figure out if they can make a conversation because Andre Iguodala is the defensive presence and the veteran mind that the Nuggets need to take that next step forward. Looking at this Nuggets roster now and looking at all the players that they've acquired and how how it's realistic that there is a possibility this Nuggets team, if they can put it together, could very well end up playing for uh, a championship this year. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities with with the way the league is now kind of uh, spread out and there's some uh, parity. Who's the player on the Nuggets team? And this is um, this is kind of a, a maybe a sleeper question here. Who's the player on the Nuggets team that people should watch that maybe is going to have a breakout year that they're not expecting? So I'm, Jokic is going to be Jokic, and I think Murray's going to be Murray. But who could have the breakout season, in your opinion, that could really put the Nuggets over the top? This is kind of cheating because he already had a breakout season a couple of years ago, but injuries have derailed his progression, and it's Gary Harris. Gary Harris was basically telepathic with Nikola Jokic for two and a half years. Their ability to play in the dribble handoff together from outside in, from inside out, from the side, from the top of the key, it didn't matter where they were. They were a bucket together every single time down the floor. Gary Harris. Also, when you look back at the playoffs this past year against San Antonio, the first two games, Jamal Murray literally could not stop Derek, uh, Derek White, who had like a 35-5-5 game in the playoffs against him. The Nuggets switched Gary Harris onto him, and he proceeded to be a non-factor for the rest of the series. Gary Harris was also a big reason that Damian Lillard struggled so much in the Portland series. Yes, he got his numbers, but his shooting percentages were awful. And a big reason why was because Gary Harris was a stalwart defensively. And then you start talking about before Gary Harris got injured last year, you saw him having some creation skills and playing with the ball in his hands, almost like a de facto point guard. So in terms of the skills that he has, in terms of the fit he already has, the mental and physical connection he has with Denver's best player, Nikola Jokic, all those things, Gary Harris, if he stays healthy, he could be in that most improved player category next year. I would not be surprised at all. Well, Gary Harris is uh he's got a big fan on our show and uh one of my one of my co hosts, T R, he's a big Gary Harris fan and uh he talks great about him and uh he's been a piece that uh the Nuggets should uh focus with because Gary Harris is a great player. And if you're not watching the Nuggets this season, what's wrong with you? As uh you know, we look forward to the upcoming season and T J I thank you so much for jumping on here and talking nuggets with me and breaking down the team, and we really got some, some good stuff here in-depth-wise. Uh, why do you let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and follow you and read your work and uh, maybe keep up with you on ESPN Fantasy Basketball when your name pops up in the, uh, <laughs> in the news comments there? Yeah, so most of my reporting will go through my Twitter, at TJ McBride NBA. If the story is big enough, there will be a story up on milehighsports.com, which is where I write. In addition to that, go uh, follow the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's where you can find my podcast. I had Will Barton on last week, as I said earlier. So there's always cool stuff going on. We are definitely going to keep churning out great Nuggets content all year. We can't wait. Thanks again, TJ, and we hope to have you back real soon, and we'll probably be talking with you about the Nuggets and uh, looking forward to a great season from Denver. They're one of my uh, teams. I'm a Minnesota fan, but uh, there's times when I have to root for the Nuggets because they're just a team that is built the – to me, they, they're built the right way, and they're a team that it's just like nobody's talking about, and 
They should be because this is a dangerous team. So thanks again. Absolutely. It's always good talking. Thanks. And that was T.J. McBride from Mile High Sports talking about the Denver Nuggets, previewing the season for them. But, Tim, right now we're joined by a very special guest. If you notice, the episode title today is in Spanish, our Spanish title, Los Hombres Anchos No Pueden Saltar. If you speak a little Spanish, that's just white men can't jump in Spanish. The reason for being is because our guest right now just recently signed to play professional basketball overseas. Ladies and gentlemen, the one of the three top leading scorers in Marshall University's women's college basketball history, one of only three women to ever score over 2,000 points in a career, Miss Shana Gore. Shana, thank you for coming on and talking with us a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem, no problem, as Tim does a round of applause there. But um, So <laughs> let me All ask, right. Spain... Uh, you're heading overseas, just like uh, a guy we know we've had on the show before, Stevie Browning. He's playing overseas right now professionally. He also played at Marshall. But you came off of a very, very good career at Marshall, one of the best players in Marshall women's college basketball history. Um, Why Spain? What was the decision behind Spain? Because I'm sure there were offers from all over. What made you go with Spain as your destination? Um, probably the location and the people, um, and, and the money, I guess. Uh, it was hey, a tough wrong money. decision. I know, it was, it was a tough decision, but, um, I waited it out. They said it could take, a, it was like a process. It could take like all summer and it literally took all summer. And I had a couple of offers from like, I had a couple from in Germany and then I think I had one in Italy that I didn't really tell anybody about because I just really wasn't considering it. But then the Spain one came about, and the money was really good. The people were really good. Um, and then I liked the part that I was going to have an American roommate. Uh, the other ones, I really wasn't going to have a roommate. And for my first time being out of the country, I wanted a roommate, and especially somebody that I'd be able to understand and get to know while I was over there. And when this one came, uh, me and my parents sat down and talked about it, and it was it was probably the best fit for me, especially for my first year over there. So that's why I went with Spain. Well, that's not a bad decision at all. Uh, otherwise, you could have just made uh, Miss Santos move with you over there to Spain. She would have done great there. I told Shout her out I to Miss Santos. Have, I told her. <laughs> I thought I was going to pack her up That's right. Miss Santos was, uh, for those of you out of the loop, I know we have a lot of listeners all over the world. Uh, Miss Santos was the uh, Spanish teacher at Logan High School, where Shana and I both graduated from. Uh, I'm a little older than her. I mean, class of '08, but you know how it is. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we, I followed Shana through high school and wrote some articles about her when I was writing for the newspaper, the radio station, things like that. And uh, you know, Shana, you're you've done a great great things in uh, the collegiate level, like we all knew you could, and now you're going to do great things overseas. Uh, let me ask you this. You brought up the money. You don't have to be specific. And if you don't want to answer this, of course, you don't have to. But uh, I wanted to bring this up what, because it's a big issue right now. What's uh, a women's college ba- or a women's professional basketball salary look like overseas? Um, 
you can make more going overseas than you can here in the WNBA. And that's kind of what the gripe is about right now. Like, if I played well enough and kept playing for a couple of years, I could probably make around maybe close to $100,000 a year if I played good enough and long enough. And I can't really complain about what I'm making right now, especially for a rookie going over there for my first year. And that's what kind of that's what kind of sucks about it, though, because like you know, like any girl's dream is to play in the WNBA. But nowadays, if you really love the game and you really want to play, you would go overseas because that's where the money is for us. It's not here. It's not like the NBA or the NFL. For us to play the game we love and to make money with it, you got to go over there and play. And um, it's actually not terrible. Like I said earlier, if you if you play long enough and you're one of the if you get to where you're one of the high-profile players over there, you can make close to ninety, eighty thousand dollars a year to a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, see, and that's a that's a big thing. Would you say that the WNBA here is not as popular as women's professional basketball overseas? Is could that possibly be a reason why the pay gap is so so different? Probably, and they can't. I don't think they can bring in. They're not bringing in crowds like overseas. People over there love their basketball. Like I was so amazed to see like the tweets that I got when it was out when I when it was out that I was going to Spain and the people from over there that were just tweeting at me and messaging me, like just welcoming me already over there and just telling me like, We can't wait to watch you, we're gonna get your jersey and everything. It's kinda like like so refreshing to hear because, you know, that's what makes you keep playing and keep going is People wanting to watch, and you look when you watch the WNBA, you don't really see a bunch of people in the stands as it is nowadays. But overseas, they really love their basketball. Tim, do you have anything for Shayna? They, they run kind of like a club system over there, don't they? Where they have a men's squad and a ladies' team, and then kind of like junior divisions. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We um, my team is the we're Division Two, which is a lot better than most Division ones over there. And we actually have a men's team, and our men's team is actually number one. Uh, they lead the – we're now in the Spanish League over there. This is our first year in the Spanish League. And they're actually number one. And whatever league they were in, my team was in last year, they ended up winning it all too. But I'm not, I'm not really familiar with what league they were in. But now they're in the Spanish League. And um, our men's team is supposed to be pretty good, so – so to go back to the wage thing, I don't want to talk about numbers or anything. Um, I'm more interested in if you when you're going overseas, um, what does a club for other girls particularly who are thinking maybe about that as a career choice down the line, what does a club help you get or do you know yet as far as accommodations, uh, learning the language? I'm going to guess there's going to be some type of um, – a difference in the food, possibly, and those sorts of things. Uh, yeah. Um, the clubs kind of we've not really like talked about it a lot because I've been talking to my coach and my strength coach, and like they call it like a delegate or something, like the person that's like over the team and the organization and the club and stuff. Um, they do provide us money for like um food over there and like they'll have us like a translator over there they got doctors for us I mean it's basically what I'm getting it's basically like I'm at college all over again I'm just getting paid for it so you like you get a per you get a per diem then I guess they would call that 
Yeah, yeah, they give us money to, and they pay for a meal a day. Um, they pay for our housing and stuff, and we only pay extra if we like go. Me and my roommate go over electric or go over Wi-Fi, which we won't. But um, that's really all we'd ever have to pay for. Other than that, everything's in our pocket. Okay, that's not a bad, not a bad deal then. Hell, can can I get that no. deal as like yeah. an English guy over there or something? <laughs> that's better than what I've got here. Like where I'm gonna be, it's like literally. I when you open up, my roommate says when you open up our back door, your feet are in the sand because we're like living on the beach. Oh. All right, so yeah. then what 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 are you more if you're even worried about either of them? Are you more more worried about the culture shock or the basketball? Uh, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't really say either. Um, because I know I'm going to have access to to stuff over there that's really going to help me, um, expand and uh, learn new stuff over there. And basketball-wise, no, not really, because I've always been up for a challenge when it comes to basketball, whether it's playing against older people, bigger people, younger, smaller. Um, I'm not the type of one that's really going to back down to anything. But I'm definitely going to – because my contract is like, if you're not if you're not playing up to what you're capable of playing and you're not putting out or helping the team, my contract can actually be cut in December. So um, I'm a, I'm definitely gonna get over there and start Let's working go. out really hard. And, go big or go home. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. But I've always played like that. That's always been my mentality. Um, it wasn't Logan. It wasn't Marshall. So there's no reason for it to change once I get over there. I like the sounds of that. Uh, Shana, let's talk a little bit about the actual. You know, we talked about the the off the court stuff. Let's talk a little about the on the court. Um, at Marshall, and you know, for those that don't know, women's college basketball very tough, very grueling. You played Marshall Division One, Conference USA. Um, what kind of system were you are you most used to running? Are you more of a pick and roll player, or or something completely different from that? What would be your style that you're used to? Uh, I would have to say um, I like for you to give me the basketball and just let me do my thing. The um, more isolate. <laughs> the same hard. To yeah, but but I'm a really good. I'm a, I'm not saying like I'm going to come down and I'm gonna I'm gonna do something every time because I'm a really like I'm a team player. Like I'll do a pick and roll. I'll do. I mean, I'll basically do whatever the coach wants me to do. But like I like the fast-paced game. I like to get it out and get going. I like to um, if the ball's in my hands, I really like to push it up the floor in transition a lot. And um, if the ball's not in my hands, I'm I'm liable to do what it takes to get it. So. Um, well, I mean, obviously you're not a selfish player. Sixth all-time at Marshall in assists, 319. Um, second all-time in field goals made with 721. So you can shoot. You can definitely pass. You can make free throws, three-point percentage. You shot 36% there. So that's a skill that really needs to be noticed. Again, third all-time scoring in Marshall women's history, um, 2,000 points. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we've talked about it at, at nauseum, you know, here in Logan. Of course, you're, you're basically a celebrity here in Logan. It's it's you, it's Stevie, it's Landau. That's pretty much the celebrities we have in Logan right now. And uh, by the way, Miss Bush says hi. By the way, uh, your eighth grade West Virginia Tell history me. teacher. That's right. 
tell Miss Bush I said hello and that I love her. She says hello and she loves you, Mom. So there you go. It's a small town, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you listening. But, uh, you know, we're looking here at, at you going overseas, and this is uh, – the city is in – where is the actual city? We know it's in Spain, but is there – it's uh, Magala or Mag, Malaga City, Spain? Uh, I I guess you're saying it right. You're saying it right. It sounds right to me, like Malaga City <laughs> or something like that. I don't – I yeah. can't tell you. All I know is I'm on a beach and I'm going. Well, there you go. I understand that completely, right? Have you seen the little write-up they have on their um, the team webpage about you? Um, no, I no. My mom told me to go read it and put it in English and in Google. It's it. It, 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 I have it in English. It says uh, if you don't, if you if you want me to read it to you, it's not very big. So, yeah, go ahead. Okay, the American guard Shane Agor is the new player of. I'm not sure how you pronounce. Is it Unikaja? Is that how you say the team name? Sounds right to me. Okay, it will be the first <laughs> professional experience of the player who comes from the NCAA, in which she showed her excellent accuracy from the perimeter. So that's what they know about you. And then there's a picture of you. Uh, I believe. Uh, Hello? Tim, we I think you cut out on us, man. Did I lose? Did you lose? Me? We lost you there. You oh, said all we got was there's a picture of you, and then you went away. Oh, and it's it's it's, it's you shooting it. It's your your form shooting a three where you just let go of the ball and you're watching it go up for I assume for a three. I assume it's a it's a nice huh. little run. They, it's a, they look like a real. You know, I would think you were looking at an NBA page. It's a real professional website. They they really look like they got their act together as far as that goes. Well, that's good to hear. Well, Shannon, let me ask you this. Um, and a lot of people may want to know this. And, again, if if you're not comfortable talking about it, that that's fine as well. But uh, were there any WNBA teams maybe looking at you or interested in bringing you in on a roster or was it more just you knew that after the WNBA drafted, it was overseas? Um, yeah, after the pro combines, when I went down, I had two pro combines. I went to insider exposure and I went to um, pro hoops combine. Um, they were both in Florida the, the weekend of the final, women's final four. And um, I did have the Dallas Wings approach me, introduce themselves. And the Connecticut Sun introduced themselves. It wasn't really nothing, nothing crazy. Just introduced themselves, saying hello. Like they knew that I played a Marshall. It was just pretty cool to hear, and it like got my confidence up a lot to compete that day. But after a couple of days after after the pro combines, they called my agent, and they were going to invite me for a training camp. But both teams needed post players, so I was kind of out of that. But it was still like pretty cool to hear like they knew who I was they knew where I played and they were going to give me a shot if they needed that type of player on their roster but um I kind of knew when I as soon as I decided Marshall I kind of knew that overseas was nothing against like Marshall it's like because it's like a mid-major college I kind of knew like well overseas is probably going to be the choice for me after which is fine by me because it's more money over there anyway well obviously um so, 
you made the decision to go to Marshall after a, a fantastic career at Logan High School. Uh, I believe you, you were the Gatorade Player of the Year that year as well, were you not? You senior Yeah, year? I was. Okay, I thought I yep. saw the banner in the field house. Um, I will ask this. Um, you chose Marshall as the college. Obviously, it's close to home. Uh, you're very close with your family. Uh, your 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 parents are and you are very close, and I know they're they're very good people. I've met them. Uh, your brother, he's a good person as well. I do want to to know, did you have other offers, maybe from like bigger colleges, but you wanted to stay close to home and go to Marshall, which is the alma mater, of the family, or or was it uh, Marshall really your your only choice, and you didn't really care about other offers? Uh, no, I really I had a lot of uh, other offers. Um, I could have went to UNC. Um, I could have went to Texas Tech, Belmont, Wake Forest, and I could have went to Elon. Um, those were some big schools that wanted me uh, and offered me. But um, it was just something that stuck out to Marshall. I mean, I went kept going to their camp since I was like maybe in the sixth grade, and I knew the coach before Coach Daniel. Um, I, his name was um, Coach Chadwick, Royce Chadwick. He was ready to offer me a scholarship to play at Marshall when I was in the seventh grade. But um, I kept going to their camps and um, kept going. I, kept, I mean, I think I came on like six unofficial visits here. And then I finally came on my official after um, the week after we made it to the state tournament my sophomore year. And that's when Coach Daniel had the, the job and, he offered me a scholarship, and it was just, like, such a hard thing to, like, say yes to because a part of me wanted to go to a big school and play so I could showcase my talent on, like, a higher level. But a part of me was, like, I really want to stay close to home. I really want my parents here. I really want my family here to watch me. So my dad was, like, does this place feel like home to you? And I told him, yeah, and he was, like, then that this is where you should be. So, like, five minutes after I – cried my eyes out to my dad only 14 years old um I came back in and told coach Daniel that I'd take that scholarship and I was the first scholarship in the 2015 class but to this day I wouldn't have traded coming here and wearing the green and wearing Marshall across my chest Tim anything else for Shane I know she's had a busy day so I don't want to keep her too long one quick one so for you the goal was always basketball professionally as opposed to the education end of things or did you get a degree in something that if your basketball life doesn't work out you can transition into the working world with not too much trouble um yeah I'm not gonna lie like my mindset coming into college was like I'm here to go to school but I'm here to play basketball so I got my degree in health science and because I kind of knew that I was going to play basketball after college so um, when basketball is all said and done, I'm gonna I'm gonna go coach college basketball somewhere. Oh yeah, good good idea. No, what, why? Yeah. Why, and 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 maybe let's 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 aim real high. Let's go for a men's team. That would be cool. I think so. I, I think coach it's long. The NBA or something. Yeah, even that. I think it's long overdue. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think I really think you could, Shana, because I've seen you play and. Uh, seen some pickup games that she's played, Tim, and uh, yeah, she's better than most of the guys. I watched so, them, uh, if a, not all the guys. A, so. There's a YouTube. Somebody put together a YouTube highlight video, and uh, I I was impressed. I have to admit. Thank you, thank you. It means a lot to me. 
Well, Shana, thanks again for jumping on and talking with us a little bit. And uh, we're really proud of you here in Logan. I know that everyone in town, you know, you're the name we bring up when we think about uh, women's basketball. Uh, you're a big deal. You're making us proud overseas. And uh, have fun over there, but uh, be safe. And my mom says she loves you again, so be safe, have fun, and represent Logan County really well. We're we're proud of you. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. I'll make sure I no. go represent it well. Please do. And if you get a jersey size really large big man, you can send me one. I'll wear it everywhere. Hey, hey, I'll be thinking about you. If they if they got my jersey over there, I'm sending one over. Do it, do it. I appreciate we'll it. Send, we'll will. send you a shirt back. Nate, take yeah. care of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll uh, I'll get you a shirt from our uh, podcast here. I'll give it to you. Steve, you've got one, so I'll get you one. Sweet. Looking forward to it. All right. Have Thanks, a good night. Thanks for having me. Good night. No problem. Bye-bye. Well, that was Shana Gore, ladies and gentlemen, heading overseas to play, co- uh, I keep wanting to say college, professional basketball over in Spain. Uh, she's a Logan girl just like – well, I'm not a Logan girl, but I'm <laughs> close enough, right? <laughs> Get over. Now we've got to go over to the athletic and add uh, – got to find if there's a Spanish women's basketball coverage. We have to check that but out. Now, well, uh, now i got, I got to I got to, I got to follow that team now. Yeah? I, I, I have to. i got to know how she's doing over there. I, I, it's, oh, yeah. It's well, I'll keep you up to date. I know we'll have up to date all the time, and uh, – Shana's great. She's been a great basketball player her whole life for as long as I've known her. She dreamed of going pro, and uh, she's made it. So uh, keep working hard. She's an inspiration, she's an inspiration to the girls around here, too. She takes time out. I see her all the time. She takes time out. She signs basketballs for them uh, at the Marshall Games. and help, She actually held her own camp down here in Logan for girls and boys. Uh, had her own little basketball camp for them, and that was really cool, I thought, that she did that. Yeah, let this be a lesson to you. Stay in school. Play your sports. Do well. Good things shall come to you. Absolutely. You know where else good things will come to you, Tim, is if you visit stayclassymeats.com. If you head on over to Stay Classy Meats, good things can come to you at the click of a button, especially if you use promo code WIDEMAN, where you can save 10% on your order and get a free pound of Montana grass-fed ground beef. Head on over to stayclassymeats.com right now and check it out. Let's go ahead and hear from them. Stay Classy Meats is your online meat market where you can get the best quality meat for competitive prices. Head on over to stayclassymeats.com and use the promo code WIDEMEN to save 10% on your order. That's right. If you head to stayclassymeats.com, you can save 10% on your order with promo code WIDEMEN, but that's not all. Not only will Stay Classy Meats give you 10% off, they're also throwing in a free pound of Montana grass-fed ground beef. Make sure you get over to stayclassymeats.com right now to check out their selection. Whether it be pork, ribs, chicken, steak, bison, ribeye, or any other type of meat that you desire, you can get it at stayclassymeats.com. They are high-quality meat that you will not want to miss out on. If you like to eat well and eat clean and eat some of the best quality products out there, Stay Classy Meats is for you. Again, head to stayclassymeats.com right now. If you're into comic books and collectibles, then you are going to want to check out Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC. 
They buy and sell comic books, action figures, pop funkos, vintage video game systems, vinyl records, and other collectibles. Retro and vintage collectibles are their specialty. They have fair and competitive pricing on all their items. Their prices will make you say, Oh my God! Currently, they run on Facebook, and they're in the process of getting their own storefront in Logan, West Virginia. Give their Facebook page a like and keep updated on new merchandise and announcements for Comic-Cons and store opening in your area. They do ship, but only within the United States at this time. Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC, where yesterday's memories are today's future. If you are looking for anything comic book or collectible-wise, you are going to want to do one thing. Assemble. And head over to Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC. Check out their Facebook page, Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC. Again, thanks to our sponsors, Atomic Comics, Collectibles, LLC, and StayClassyMeets.com. Tim, did you happen to see the Atomic Comics and Collectibles item they just posted up on their Facebook page for sale? I did, Nate, and I did some research on top oh, of it. Oh, did you? Okay. I did. What did you and find out? I, I found out that uh, that price is low. Uh, Comparable items with the slightly higher numbers and lower numbers of the, uh, what is it, a 2500 run, I believe? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, are even on eBay are selling for uh, 275 or so Americans. So that that price is real good. So well, anybody let me ask. Let me let me go ahead and put it out there for those that don't know. You can go onto Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC on Facebook, and they put it. Here's the post. Here it is. There's only 2,500 in the entire world, and this is number 1596 of 2,500. Came from the estate of John Lennon in 1993. It's a 24-karat gold-plated record. Has a small ding in the right bottom corner, but is easily covered. Has the certificate of authenticity taped on the back. When these come up for sale, they are typically found in England or Australia. This piece, when it does come up for auction, sells for 100 to 200 dollars with a 50 to 100 dollars shipping charge. For local pickup, we're asking 150 dollars. So if you haven't seen that, I'll share it on Facebook right now. If you're friends with me on Facebook, head on over, check it out. I mean, and that's uh, only going to become um, more. I mean, Beatles memorabilia. And John Lennon yep. and Mabila don't uh, the price just goes up as absolutely as they, you know as time goes by and one of these days the other two are going to die and then that's really going to shoot up absolutely it's, it's an investment that's an investment and yeah that's true yeah so go check them out it's facebook.com slash atomic comics and collectibles LLC but Tim I had a chance the other day to sit down with Jared Weiss he is a writer for The Athletic, which you and I are big fans of at the moment uh, since we've subscribed to it. And we'll talk about that here in the conversation with Jared. But let's go ahead and hear from him now. We're talking about the Boston Celtics. We look at who they lost and who they brought in and preview the season upcoming with the Boston Celtics. Are you ready? Hey, Robinson. What? Roll the tape, you bum. Well, joining us here on Why Men Can't Jump is the Celtics and NBA writer for The Athletic, Jared 
Weiss. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Weiss? Yes, sir. Awesome. I knew my knowledge of Walt Weiss from the Major League Baseball would pay off one day. But uh, Jared's here. We're going to talk a little Celtics basketball. And, again, thank you for joining us here on the show. For sure. I can't imagine any Walt Weiss knowledge would have been of much use in your life. But, you know, it's always the first time for everything. Hey, it came available. So my knowledge of uh, early 2000s Atlanta Braves baseball has finally paid off. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the Celtics. Um, an off-season filled with losses and gains, per se, for the Boston Celtics. Let's go ahead and look at the losses first. They lose Kyrie Irving, which is the that's the big uh, the big news, really. If you're your Celtics fans, they lose Irving, they lose Al Horford as well. Irving goes to Brooklyn. Horford takes off for Philly. But, you know, there's more to the offseason for Boston than that. Um, They also lose Terry Rozier in the trade that they did. Uh, Aaron Baines is gone and Marcus Morris as well. Um, They only get back Kimba Walker and Ennis Cantor. And before we talk about Kimba and how he plays in and their draft, was all these losses for the Celtics truly just devastating to the team? Are they – or do you think maybe that they'll do addition by subtraction here? Just the Horford loss. I mean, everything else was, you know, as expected or according to plan. Um, I mean, replacing Kyrie with Kemba obviously is a great move for them. You know, that's it's a shorter runway as far as building time around Kemba because Kemba's a couple years older than Kyrie, but Kemba is just such a dramatically better fit for this organization uh, that it's, like, they'll be so much better with Kemba than they would be with Kyrie, even though obviously the debate about who's a better player rages on. Um, but so that was that was an upgrade, ironically. But they're kind of, I would say, kind of replacing Al Horford with Gordon Hayward if you believe that Gordon Hayward is going to be pretty close to fully bounce back, which definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, we know that it takes a year to recover from a major uh, ankle break injury like that. And then it takes another year of playing through it to actually get back to really being yourself. So the expectation was always that it was going to take a year and a half to two years for him to really be himself. And last year's team is just not conducive to him being able to get his rhythm. So, you know, I would expect that the role is going to be really figured out for him and the opportunities are going to be figured out for him. And he's going to have a much, much better year. And, while he's certainly a different style of player than Al Horford, the role that they fill in the offense is going to be somewhat similar. So they could end up being in a pretty comfortable place to where they were in theory last year. And that team in theory was a juggernaut. Um, I think this team this year in theory will be a potential finals contender, but most likely will be kind of in that tier below finals contender in the East. Well, they, they bring in uh, Kimba, and I do want to ask you this: since you since you made that made that comparison, I won't say comparison, but the statement that Kimba is better for the Celtics than Kyrie. Um, explain that if you don't care, because our listeners and may, you know, I, there may be something here that I'm not seeing. Most people would say Kyrie's the better player, but do, do you and you say Kimba's better for the Celtics? Why is that? Well, I'm not sure if you heard, but Kyrie and the Celtics did not seem to work out too well last year. So Very true. That <laughs> Very is true. That, that's the that's the reason. I mean, Kyrie is. I think what Kyrie does better than Kemba is he's a he's a better finisher. 
in the paint, whether it's in this like, kind of you know close floater game or his ability to finish at the rim. And that's not a knock on Kemba as much as that Kyrie's just about the best finisher at his position in the NBA. Um, you know, Kyrie is a more efficient deep shooter, but it's, I mean, while percentage-wise it's dramatic, I'd say that the capability of shots in, you know, beyond the three-point line that they can hit are pretty close, but Kyrie's numbers are better. So I think those are the two places where Kyrie has a pretty clear edge. Um, you know, they're both they're both good, but not great playmakers. They're both pretty deadly mid-range perimeter and interior scores. I mean, they're both great three-phase score, three scores. You know, Kyrie, he, he – so, like, when people analyze defense, or rather when the general conversation about defense comes up with an individual player, it's usually based on a couple things. It's whatever experts were saying about them two years ago and then whatever they're saying about themselves coming into the season. So every player will come into the season saying their defense is going to be great – and then they play hard defense for like a couple months at the most, really more like a couple weeks. And everyone goes, oh, wow, look at them. They're good defenders again. And that's what Kyrie Irving did last year. Um, although, actually, I wrote a story. I think the first story I wrote during the season was about how Kyrie's defense was a major problem for the team. And it continued to be that way throughout the year where some possessions he was incredible and then some possessions he was completely – he was defending as if he had no one had ever taught him how to play defense before. So – I think that Kemba is probably a little bit more reliable of a defender, even if he's not capable of being as impactful on defense as Kyrie can be at his best. But, you know, Kemba is a more steady guy, a more reliable guy, at, at least compared to what Kyrie was last year. Um, and he fits their scheme better. And Kyrie at times had a lot of problems fitting with the scheme or even respecting the scheme. And I think that's not going to be as much of an issue. So when you're really, when you're comparing all the individual capability stuff, None of it really matters nearly as much as buy-in, executing the game plan, sticking with the game plan, and being able to work with your teammates. Looking at the potential rotation for the Celtics starting-wise, do you think the Celtics are going to go more Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown starting? Um, Because it kind of looks like here, as this article uh, by Jay King from The Athletic, that Marcus Smart is slated to get the start and they're going to play two point guards starting and have Jalen Brown basically be that sixth man. Do you believe that that's what the Celtics are going to do? So it's a really tough call. You know, Jay did a really nice job of breaking down, answering a really difficult question in that article, which is how do you start, how do you create a starting lineup when your five best players are all perimeter players? And so, you know, Hayward has some ability to be a, a, a kind of like a stretch four. Uh, he, ha- he has experience playing the four next to Rudy Gobert in Utah. They tried him, having him do that a little bit in Boston, but usually he was next to an, a legitimate center. But if, he, if you start all their best players, then the tallest player on the floor is Jason Tatum. And Jason Tatum, while he has enough length to you know, be like an undersized center. He just doesn't have the core strength to be able to do it. And Hayward is probably the most powerful guy of the of that group that's over six and five because Marcus Smart obviously is, but he's only six four. You know, you don't have a guy that's a clear answer against teams with bigs, whether they're post up bigs, pick and roll bigs, or even stretch bigs that can put the ball on the floor. So that would be really tricky. I do think that they're gonna be able to go small enough that they can play smart out there next to Kemba, Tatum, Brown, and Hayward. 
And of course, we, we've seen smart defense centers constantly throughout his career. I mean, the guy is a defensive marvel. Is, I've never quite seen anything like him before. Uh, so, you know, they can find different ways to get away with that. But as far as the starting lineup is concerned, yeah, they're going to have to put one of those guys on the bench. Stevens has generally opted to have a center out there in the starting lineup. And then generally that center plays about 15 minutes a game. And then whomever is coming off the bench is going to play 30 to 32 minutes a game anyway. Um, it's, it's tricky because Marcus Smart is the perfect six man in that he can play pretty much any position, but especially any position one through three. And he's a point guard. He's a good pick and roll ball handler. So bringing him in with the second unit makes the most sense because he can choreograph for the second unit. Um, but the thing is, he's so good at this point that it seems like he's too good to be coming off the bench. And ironic or coincidentally, I'm looking at Mono Ginobili on my screen right now. And Mono Ginobili is a great example of someone who's an obvious Hall of Famer and was one of the probably 10 best perimeter players in the NBA while he was in the league for most of his career, but came off the bench pretty much his entire career. And so this is kind of like a, a turning point for Marcus Smart where he has to determine is he going to be the Mono Ginobili of the Celtics franchise? And I know he wants to start, um, but what happens when you tell him, we think your best role for you is to be coming off the bench, and does he accept that? Because Jalen Brown definitely struggled to accept that, and he made the best out of it last year, but like he's coming into his last year of his rookie deal where he wants to be getting – he wants to be starting. He wants to be qualifying himself for, you know, 20 plus million a year, maybe even the max if, if he plays incredibly well this year. And so I think it's an easier sell to smart who already has his contract to be that bench guy instead of Jalen. Okay. Well, I'm looking here and again, you, uh, Celtics brought in Ennis Cantor during the off season. Now um, it seems like online on Twitter and I know, right. If it's on Twitter, it's gotta be the, <laughs> it's got to be the pulse of everything. A lot of people for Boston are really excited about Ennis Cantor, but then there's a lot of people from, you know, New York and Portland and a lot of other teams that are sitting there going, Ennis Cantor, oh, God, better you than me, man. Uh, what's the real feeling in terms of bringing Ennis Cantor in? Um, obviously, he's not Al Horford. Uh, he's not going to be that guy. But offensively, he, he's very good, but he's he's really lackluster on defense. And um, Boston kind of seemed like Cantor was in their plans this offseason, and they got him. Um, what's the feeling on Cantor coming to Boston? Yeah, I mean, I, coming into free agency, I reported that Cantor was most likely going to be going to Boston, and they were going to talk right away. And sure enough, that happened almost immediately. So that was the guy that they wanted to make their first call to, knowing that they had Kemba Walker sewn up, and they were going to have the room exception to work with. And he was a good fit for that. Um, you know, he's pretty much the opposite player of Al Horford. He is a very, I think he showed last year with Portland. He's a very good pick and roll player has always demonstrated that he's a good post-up player and good at playing out of the dunker spot, which is basically when you're hiding on the weak side, kind of like underneath the backboard. So Cantor's always been great at kind of like hiding in the back door area and then sliding in at the last second using that giant booty of his to move people out of the way and crash the offensive glass or get a, a lob from, you know, from a point guard. So he's, he's a very savvy player when it comes to scoring anywhere inside of 10 feet. 
Um, you know, the big question for him is you know, the Celtics scheme has generally worked with a big man that can pop to the three-point line or at least pop to 18 feet out. And Cantor has shown that he has some of a mid-range shot but hasn't really shown much of a deep shot yet in his career. And they've been really pushing, whether it's Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, or even Ainge himself, they've been really pushing the idea of him being a stretch shooter this year. And, I mean, they turned Aaron Baines into a stretch shooter, and Aaron Baines is probably the, the worst shooter in the NBA. And, I mean, Baines still shot terribly. I think he shot like 25%. But 25% is still better than 0%. And the fact that he was hitting them every once in a while would screw up the defense a little bit. And they're going to they're gonna give Cantor a chance to go for it. And I think he'll shoot better than 25%. If he can do that, he'll be, be a very valuable offensive player. As far as defense, I mean, he, he made some strides at being a smarter pick-and-roll defender last year, but in general, his he's been criticized as the worst defender at his position in the NBA, except for maybe Greg Monroe, just because when he tries to defend the pick-and-roll, he kind of sits back into what's called a drop scheme and lets the defense attack him, and that works if you're active with your feet and you position everything right, and he's just always been really bad at doing all that, so maybe he turns it around and finally becomes a decent pick-and-roll defender. Then the Celtics have an incredible steal. Oh, absolutely, if he can do that. I think a lot of it comes from playing overseas as well, where the pick-and-roll isn't as necessary uh, in terms of playing overseas. You can get away with being, uh, you know, you can play zone and things like that. I think that has a lot to do with uh, maybe Canner's lack of defense. Um, But overseas is different. Uh, but let's talk about the Celtics draft before we come back to uh, and talk about some of the main players on the team. Um, let's let's look at their draft. They got Romeo Langford with the last pick of the uh, the lottery there, with uh, I thought was a very nice pick for them. Then they grabbed Grant Williams and Carson Edwards. Um, they also added Tremont Edwards uh, as well. What did you think of the Celtics draft, and do you think any of these guys are going to be of impact this season? Or do you think maybe these are guys that they're just drafting based on potential? I know Langford's a lottery pick. Most of the times you want your lottery picks to have at least somewhat immediate impact or at least be close to where they are. But what do you think in terms of uh, this draft class for the Celtics? What do you see coming from them in the the close future? It's funny. It seems like the – the reverse order of their draft is the order of who's most ready to contribute. Like Carson Edwards, I think pretty clearly at this point can be a backup or at least a backup backup point guard and will be able to get some shots off against second and third units. So that's, you know, that's a pretty clean fit right there. And he fits a need for them because they are now actually fairly thin at the point guard position, especially if smart is starting their backup point guards. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll run the rotation so that Smart's really the backup point guard. But they would only have Brad Wanamaker, who barely played last year, and then Edwards and um, and Waters as their, as their point guard depth. So there's, there definitely seems to be some opportunity for Edwards to get out get out there and play. Um, you know, Grant is – I mean, he, he seems like he's kind of like a mini Al Horford already when you watch him in summer league. He's just such a smart player – has such great technique, awareness, positioning, you know, all the stuff that makes Horford so great, where he's, just, he's always in the right spot. He's always ready for whatever is coming at him. Um, you know, I, I think he's obviously going to have to deal with adjusting to guys just being so much bigger and faster and stronger in the NBA. And 
all those tools that have really worked for him are not going to be a big advantage for him and at you know early on and so that that adjustment period is going to take him a while but he's as nba ready really as a player you possibly get in the draft um and then with romeo romeo is a long-term project he is someone that has you know pretty high scoring upside potential you can see him being a 20 point game score uh you can see him being a pretty good playmaker so you know he's he's one of those guys that he has kind of like a completely messed up jump shot and it's going to take a ton of work for them to be able to basically just reconfigure the entire jump shot. And they're doing a lot of work on that already. And I think I wrote a piece over at the athletic that explains a lot of the work that they need to do to be able to reconfigure that shot. But, you know, if, if they can get that to even somewhat normal, the potential for him to be a big time scorer is really high. And, you know, that's just that, that's just that one thing. It's really, it's really hard to find a guy that can really get you 20 points a game and be good enough as an all-around player to really stay on the floor. And Linkford has that potential, but it's going to take a couple of years for him to really be a rotation, or at least like a reliable rotation guy. Well, let's now uh, look back at the starting lineup again. Um, Jason Tatum is a great player, and you guys in the Celtics robbed uh, Philadelphia and they, they hoodwinked him, as I like to say, uh, giving him Markel Fultz and then trading back and getting Jason Tate. Well, first of all, Danny Ainge should get an award for that trade from anybody in Boston. <laughs> uh, if you see how Markel Fultz's career went, and 76er fans, uh, if you'd have listened to this podcast back when my, me and my co-host were telling you Fultz was going to be a bust, but nobody would. We were we were considered morons for saying that. But anyway. Um, not to toot our own horns, but toot toot. Uh, Jason Tatum, fantastic player. What's his ceiling this season? Can he be? Can he take that next step and go up to an All Star caliber player? Maybe even become that superstar? Because let's let's look at it this way. I think this is now his team uh, in Boston. What do you think sure. Tatum's ceiling is? What can he become? I don't know. I think it might be Taco's team, but we'll see if Tatum can get it back from him. But, <laughs> you, um, you've been on Twitter also, again, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Taco since he got to the Celtics, and it's uh, it's quite an experience being around Taco. But it, to be clear, are you saying that you thought that Fultz was going to be a bust before the draft? Absolutely, 100%. Wow, that's a remarkable take. And I, yep, we'll, only, we'll say that for another time. People. I'm very curious. Only three people said that, and two of them are on this podcast. The other one, I'm not sure where wow. it is. But, uh, yeah, me and my co-host, my co-host is uh, – and for those that don't know, he was an avid sports better, and he would watch Washington late uh, here on the East Coast. He would stay up and watch the Washington Huskies games, and he would talk about this guy named Fultz that he couldn't stand because they were always down by 20 points, and the dude was just jacking up shots. And then when everybody was – praising him the next thing you know he's like Philly's and he's from Philadelphia and he's a 76ers fan and he's like I want anybody but Markel Fultz he said this dude is going to be the biggest bust and I I kind of went with him on it I said you know dude his jump shot's not pretty um I said he plays in a weak conference bad statistics I don't like it I don't like the pick so not to say we told you so folks but TR and I told you so but anyway, yeah, sorry, just a little so. aside there. 
Yeah, so, we so always, to go we to Tatum. Said the Bulls were going to be a playoff team last year, so uh, we, we're kind of hit and miss. <laughs> well, maybe it shouldn't have come on the show after all. But so, um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so to go to Tatum, Tatum, there's a good. I mean, he's pretty well positioned to be an All Star this year when you look at the depth of talent in the Eastern Conference. There's a pretty solid chance he's going to make the All Star team because he's going to get just a ton of touches. His efficiency even improves just like a decent bit. He'll probably be scoring 20 a game. If, you're, if he's scoring 20 a game on a team at the, in the top half of the Eastern Conference standings, pretty easy recipe to get to an all-star there. So, you know, his his ironically, his first all-star appearance might not be like the most necessarily deserving one. I think he might be able to waltz into that pretty easily. But, yeah, the potential for him to be a true superstar is pretty good. I mean, if you look at most rankings of, like, guys under – like, the top prospects that are 23 years old, he tends to be somewhere between, like, top five and top ten, right? So, yeah, he's most likely going to be a perennial all-star. And, you know, the the big thing for him is improving shot efficiency, continuing to improve his kind of, you know, the, the situativeness to get into the paint and draw contact. And we saw some flashes of him being able to be a really good – uh, you know, deep penetrator and, and foul drawing player, and he just needs to continue to you know really expand on that mindset and you know get the reps that he needs this year to be really good at that because he has potential to be a guy that he just gets into the paint and he uses those long arms to draw contact and he gets to the free throw line eight times, ten times a game, and that's how you go from being like a twenty point score to a to a twenty eight point score. So I could definitely see him doing that. Um, but yeah, him and him and Walker, I feel like are pretty well positioned to make the All Star team this year. Uh, one more question. Well, actually, two more questions for you. Um, who's the player on this team that we should be looking at to be maybe the breakout star? Maybe not you know, not the obvious like Tatum or Kimba or somebody like that. But who's a player that we should be watching this year that could really make a difference on this team? That's a good question. Um, I haven't really thought about that before. Uh, I mean, you know, smart, I guess is always the answer, right? Um, he's, he's just, he's such a fascinating player. If you know, people don't watch Marcus smart on a routine basis, you're really depriving yourself if you're a basketball junkie, because he just, every single possession is just, he has this like this, this edge to him. I mean, people, people that are fans of the Celtics, they like to call it grifting as a joke. And he's just, he always has this edge and he seems like he's going to grift something on the play. He's got some sort of big going, <laughs> some sort of scheme going there. It's always so spectacular to watch. So he's always great. Um, Shemi Ojale, I think he's someone that pretty much just never gets talked about at this point, just because he's been a back of the rotation player for a couple of years now. And so, you know, people unsurprisingly kind of forget that he's there, but he's someone who, has really good potential to be like a really useful three and D type of player. And I went out and watched him work out a couple times in LA this summer. And he, you know, last year he made some improvements on his jump shot, but there was still a lot of work to be done and seeing the, where his jump shot is now, if he can maintain that throughout the season, he's going to be, you know, probably shooting in the high thirties, which as a three and D guy is pretty good. And then of course, you know, he can defend all five positions. So if he's shooting well enough from three, he's going to be like a, a much more prominent rotation player, probably play center for them a lot. So he's that guy that I think could come out of nowhere. 
And, you know, if you haven't seen Shemi Ojale play defense, he's a really fascinating defender because he's, you know, about six, seven or so is, you know, has more muscle than the rest of the entire roster combined and <laughs> is very light-footed and like very agile. He kind of moves, you know, he moves kind of more like a three or a stretch or you're like a stretch big, um, but mm-hmm. he can defend any guard pretty much. He's fast enough to stay in front of them, can just destroy any single forward. And he's had a lot of success against Giannis, up until basically like late last year. And then he can play the five and he's good defending the rim. He can switch. He can do any kind of pick and roll defense. So he's somebody that I think will have probably get a much more opportunity than people are talking about at this point coming into the season. Yeah. And I, I I really like him as well. Uh, I think it was John Corrales we had on the show last year uh, during, well, not last year, but this past season um, during playoff time. And he said, we need more of him. We need to play him more. This is a guy that needs to see the court more uh, just because of his defense. So, um, you know, he could really be poised for a nice season. Uh, Last question, though, before I let you get off here. Um, Realistically, where do you see the Celtics ending up this season? What do you think their ceiling is? Can they compete for a championship? Or are they, you know, clearly I think everyone expects them to make the playoffs. Are they going to be a top four seed where do you see the Celtics with this roster? And we'll we'll throw injuries out, barring injury, major injury. Uh, where should they end up? Yeah, probably somewhere between a three to five seed is their baseline. And you know, th- there's a lot of potential for it to go higher because of the Hayward thing I was saying before, uh, just because of who knows how good this team is if they have a point guard that actually fits, as opposed to Kyrie, who's fit with Simic system last year. So, if Kemba, if Kemba like fixes the chemistry issue, then who knows? Maybe they really are a great team. But yeah, I, I think it's the most reasonable expectation is to see them as kind of like a second tier Eastern Conference team, which still puts them in contention because this year is a very, very you know, very egalitarian competition structure. There's, I mean, there's the Clippers who are pretty stacked and seem like a team that could probably be, that should be a pretty clear favorite. Philadelphia is reorganized, but seems to be potentially better than they were before. Um, and then, you know, Giannis gets a year better, and, the, you know, Milwaukee is pretty great. And then, of course, who the hell knows with the Lakers? The Lakers could be incredible just because it's LeBron and AD together. So I think that the Celtics definitely, you know, have a chance to get to the finals this year, have a chance to compete, but they're probably on the lower probability end of the teams in the East that have a clear chance to get there. Well, Jared, thank you so much for jumping on and talking Celtics with us. Uh, we actually have a lot of Celtics fans that listen to the show, believe it or not, but uh, we do oh, appreciate cool. you getting uh, Yeah, yeah, nice Celtics base. Uh, so Celtics people, get off me. I finally got you a Celtics guy on to talk, so <laughs> get it all the time. But uh, we do thank you again for jumping on talking with us, and uh, let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and follow you and read your writings and all that stuff. Uh, you can find me at The Athletic, covering the Celtics in the NBA. Uh, find me on Twitter, Jared Weiss, NBA. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. Hey, there you go. Uh, and, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead. Even though they don't pay us, uh, we pay them. Uh, give The Athletic a shot, guys. Honestly, um, I love it. And, you know, this is coming from Nate the fan, not Nate the, the podcast host here. Uh, really, some great writers over at The Athletic. So much content, and if you're a fan of any sport from any city anywhere, you should 
you should definitely be subscribed to The Athletic. So uh, check it out and go show Jared some love. Uh, read his articles. There's some good good takes in there. So, Jared, thanks again for jumping on. Really appreciate it, man, and uh, hope to have you back uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, hey, for anyone that's on the fence about The Athletic, if you're a soccer fan, which – I might have just gotten a bunch of people to turn off the show, but for those who didn't, your soccer no, fan, exactly. the athletic believe just... it or not, believe it or not, my co-host and I, we we enjoy soccer. We actually, during the World Cup, we Perfect. actually do we do updates about the World Cup. We enjoy it. All right, good. Well, we just hired like most of the best soccer talent, writing talent in in Europe, and just launched the Athletic UK. And there's going to be, I think, even more expansion into. You know, European soccer, getting La Liga, Bundesliga coverage, all that kind of stuff. So the athletic is becoming really a world. I mean, I think it probably already is as far as number of writers. It's got to be the biggest sports network that exists at this point. And it's cheap. It's like four bucks a month, I think, for the first year uh, when you sign yeah. up with the deal. And go to, go to one of my articles to sign up, please, because I get credit for that. And it's very important for my job. So do it that way. But yeah, if you're not on there yet, it's worth checking out or doing a free trial and then canceling if you don't want it. But like, it's, it's definitely worth it. I was a subscriber way yeah. before I even joined the athletic. Yeah. I think, uh, I'll be on, I'll, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. I signed up for a year, uh, and it was $60 for the year. So yeah, I'm like, that's a steal. Uh, yeah. Especially if you're a sports fan. That's five bucks a month. I think, right? Yeah. It's simple, right? Yeah. It's like five bucks a month. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, and there's so much content. You couldn't possibly find it all. Uh, and we love sports here, and the only thing that's missing is pro wrestling content. Other than that, we can you know you can live on the athletic. You don't need to watch the talking heads that you hate on ESPN. <laughs> Go to the athletic. I well, mean, I don't you know. know. You need... Go ahead. I don't know about wrestling, but I know that the athletic hired a lot of great like boxing and MMA people. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Like, of I don't really follow boxing, boxing MMA, but yeah. So I feel like that kind of checks off those boxes to a pretty good degree. And I mean, the the big thing that I actually that a lot of people don't realize about the athletic is that when you sign up, you're not just signing up for like the local coverage. You're signing up for literally the entire out, like the entire network. So yeah. that's, you're paying that five bucks a month for literally everything that exists on the athletic, yeah. which and, is what makes it and that's huge. so ridiculous. And if you're a fantasy sports fan, that's another big thing on there too. Fantasy football's coming up, so. I, you know, I, I, the athletic should be paying me right now for all this that I'm giving them for free, but <laughs> it's definitely worth it. Seriously, if you check it out, or they should at least hire me to write wrestling content. I'll do that. But uh, either hey, way, like this a, you got to create your own job openings these days. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you pull that off. Hey, I'll do it. I've been known to. But Jared, again, thanks for uh, jumping on talking with us, and we'll have you back real, real soon. Absolutely. Thanks again, man. Thanks. And that was our conversation with Jared Weiss talking about the Boston Celtics. Jared writes for The Athletic. And, Tim, man, what a jam-packed episode this has been. Episode 91 of Wide Men Can't Jump. Another fun one in the books. A record breaker, I think. What is it? That's a record breaker, I think. Yeah, indeed. It's been a fun one. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, we want to thank all of our guests that came on tonight, including Shana Gore, Jared Weiss, and TJ McBride, they were great. Tim, thank you for being here. It's always good to have you. Uh, hey, hey, I just wanted to say uh, things quick. Uh, first, uh, thanks for doing the yeoman's duty on the uh, 
on the interviews as I was uh, under the weather and could not participate. So Nate took one for the team and went above and beyond as always. So I just want to throw There's a Brooks and Dunn song about me, Tim. It's called Hard Working Man. So. <laughs> no, I thought it was maybe Road, a, road, road Hard and Put Away Wet. But anyway. Well, that could be it too. Even though I don't think that's a Brooks and Dunn song. But either way. <laughs> it should be if it isn't. Um, yeah. yeah. So good show. Good times. And, uh, Indeed. Uh, and we want to thank oh, our sponsors. You want me to wrap it up? Thank- let me know. So I got a little oh. something, something. Okay. Well, we want to thank our sponsors, the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, stripcamfund.com, Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC, facebook.com slash Atomic Comics Collectibles, LLC, and Stay Classy Meats at stayclassymeats.com. Use promo code WIDEMEN to save 10% on your order and receive a free pound of Montana fed, or excuse me, Montana grass fed ground beef. You can find us on iTunes. Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find podcasts. The Patreon page just updated the other day. Our conversation with Bobby Blaze and Dan Severin is now available on the Patreon page. We want you all to check it out and uh, enjoy that one. We're doing another conversation this weekend with the current Ring of Honor heavyweight champ, or excuse me, Ring of Honor television champion, Shane Taylor. So we're looking forward to sitting down and talking some wrestling with Shane Taylor. That's for Patreon uh, only over at patreon.com slash jump. Go check out uh, com. Some cool stuff heading over there. And, yeah, so we want to oh, follow us at WideJump on Twitter. Our Twitter's been getting great feedback as of late. Uh, so everybody make sure you're on our Twitter page, at WideJump. Tim's at Tileman68. I am at MMITM. Nathan, so check us out over there, and we'll have some more fun content next week. Episode 92, as we inch closer to the start of the regular season and closer to episode 100. And Tim and I have not discussed what we're going to do for episode 100 yet. So I'm going to talk to him off. We need to talk about that. We don't have a clue. We don't have a damn clue. So we got to figure something out for that. Indeed. But uh, other than that, that's all I've got for this week, Tim. Go ahead. All right. Excellent. We break away from Wide Men Can't Jump to bring you this news update. I'm here at Palatial Clifton Heights where a drunken Tom Robinson has just been beaten nearly to death by baby folks. This is incredible. <laughs> Neighbors say that a drunk Tom Robinson appeared banging the folks' door demanding to let me in, you pussy. To which <laughs> baby folks replied, screw you, you unemployed drunk. Opened the door and dismantled Tom Robinson with moves... Uh, that even uh, Dan Severn couldn't pull off. It was incredible. Uh, please talk to the baby folks, but uh, she made, ba- he made, it's, it's actually a he, ladies and gentlemen, not a she. He made bail. Uh, he was uh, surprisingly bailed out by one Ben Simmons. That's incredible news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Tom is uh, in an ambulance and is unresponsive at He's muttering something about, did uh, somebody rescue my coat? To which Baby Fultz is now held up in the window on a piece of two-by-four. What appears to be a large-sized, well, what one might wear in an insane asylum, possibly. <laughs> Not really sure. Oh, my God! Baby Fultz is lit it on fire, ladies and gentlemen. This is, oh, oh, the humanity. Oh, that coat was worn by a patriot. Tom Robinson, a patriot. Oh, Oh, I, I, this reporter, I have never seen such carnage, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Robinson looks like 
<laughs> Robinson. <laughs> it's incredible the beating this man has taken at the hands of Baby Bolts, former Baby Robinson, now owner of the Palatial Palace in Clifton Heights. I don't know, folks. Uh, we're, we're, we're being told by the cops we've got to back off. They're a little bit worried Baby Fultz apparently has a AR-15, so we've got to back up a little bit. Oh, oh my God, shots are fired, shots are fired. Oh, oh I, I got to go, I got to go. Take cover! God. Thanks for listening. I ain't even got to say it, that's just something they know. Thanks for listening to the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com and at widemencantjump.com. Be sure to check out our blogs over at WideMenCan'tJump.com and also be sure to check out all the other shows that we put out. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Also at WideMenCan'tJump.com. Visit our store and buy some new t-shirts that are available now in all sizes. This show is brought to you by the Law Offices of Stephen P. New at NewLawOffice.com and by Cambay.com. Be sure to visit Cambay.com and use promo code WIDEMEN to get 20 free credits on your purchase. Thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next time for the next episode on the Wide Men Radio Network.